WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Today is Thursday, December 28th. Hope everyone had a very nice holiday weekend and it's been a a very Merry Christmas and and holiday time, especially up here in the Northeast where we've got two out of the four people on the pod today. We got the other half down in, you know, it doesn't look like sunny Florida, but I'm guessing it's, it's nice, warm and human. And as always, the Ostrom Avenue podcast brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very much for their support of the show. My name is Ethan Frank, joined by Jordan Leonard. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's not sunny right now. It's definitely raining. Um, And if you're watching the video, you can see Hudson's on a covered patio. I don't have a covered patio, so I had to go indoors for this podcast, but definitely, definitely a lot warmer. I think it's in the mid 70s this week. Yeah, when we were recording last, Jordan and I were both still in Syracuse. I'm now home in Connecticut. He's back in Florida. Hudson was in Colorado in Denver. Now he's in Florida. How'd you get there? I'm moving all over the place right now. I, I don't know how I keep up three different pods in three different locations. I'm in Florida right now, and it is rainy, as Jordan mentioned, but I'm getting a good taste of the wildlife. The other day, there was a bald eagle that was sitting right there, and I got to see it. It was on Christmas Day. It was a bit of a Christmas miracle. Very nice. Bald eagles are very cool. I've seen I've seen a few in my day, none in Florida, but uh, very cool. And if you're watching this on video, you can see who our guest is today. He is... I think you could call him one of the, the original founders of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Uh, he was there from the very beginning. It's Owen Valentine. Owen, how are you? Boys, I am. I'm doing great. It was me and, and Brendan Mortensen. So I'll give him the shout out as well. He came to me with an idea. He said, let's do let's do a podcast. And we had no name, no idea. But a couple of weeks went by. We got a logo. We got an idea. We got a concept. And here it is, what, five years later, I think this is now. Uh, it's pretty crazy to see, you know, how far the pod has come. And it's a cool thing when I when I scroll through and I'm, I'm looking at things or I, I see on, on my podcast stuff uh, that this thing is still running and still going strong uh, every time I open that up. Yeah, we owe, we owe a lot of thanks to you guys. I want to say, Owen, it's the majority of the graphics you'll see on our YouTube. Those were created by you. Would I be correct in saying that? Yes. Yes, you would. <laughs> That's all right. I like it. I uh, I had fun making them. I'm glad. You know, I've had a few pods that I did in the past where they've changed everything uh, and not to throw shade. But there was one pod that I did that just like slightly tweaked everything, which really 
threw me through the ringer on that one because it was like all of my concepts, but they just tweaked them slightly so that they weren't mine anymore. Uh, so I'm glad that you guys have at least still embraced them and, and kept them in their in their true form instead of making the small tweaks so that you could sort of say, so long, Owen, we don't really care what you did anymore. No, t- no tweaking uh, to, to, to our, our graphics. We love them. We hope uh, the audience enjoys them as well. So, you know, we had Ben on last week. We had Johnny on two weeks ago. So there is with Johnny, there's, you know, Johnny overlapped with all of us. Um, ben, I don't know if Jordan and Ben ever overlapped, but Ben and I definitely overlapped a good amount. Um, and then, you know, oh, and you were, as I was entering, you were, uh, you, you were, you were graduating. So there, there's that minor overlap there. So, you know, we're, we're getting like extended, the extended family of the podcast continues to grow. So since you graduated from Syracuse and from W8 Yard back in, in 2021, what is, uh, what has the journey been like? I'll tell you one thing. It's a, uh, it's a very different journey than you've probably heard from, uh, from Ben and Johnny so far, uh, as, as they've explained theirs. Uh, I took a very different route than they have. Uh, the second I left WAER, the second I graduated from Syracuse, I think I walked, well, we didn't walk, it was COVID. So I stood in the audience. Uh, the second I graduated on Friday, and then I started uh, grad school on Monday, getting my master's in education. Uh, and so I've got a master's in education. I am currently a teacher in the Liverpool School District just outside of Syracuse. I teach broadcasting. I teach journalism. So I do the same stuff, just in a drastically different capacity. Uh, we're starting up a program to be able to do some play-by-play and, and calling games really soon. I know a couple of the AER guys have been down in years past to do a few basketball games. Uh, we're working on doing that all in-house now. So getting the guys going and uh, a couple of girls as well. So being able to expand this program into, you know, a, a cool little, not quite WAER, but a little bit of a starter where kids can get their foot in the door and, and start to experience, you know, play-by-play and live broadcasts and continue to grow uh, so that, you know, when they apply to their schools, whether it's Syracuse, whether it's whatever, uh, they've got a lot of experience uh, to to jump right in. That's awesome. And I mean, people in the central New York area, I'm sure, are are thrilled about that. As someone who had a, a high school radio program uh, for for play by play for for sports talk radio for stuff like that, I can't tell how invaluable that kind of experience is when you're that young because it helps foster you know that those important skills, especially at that age that I'm sure you're you're trying to teach. So, yeah, I mean. You know, if you've been listening to this pod since the very beginning, you would know that Owen is is a local Syracuse guy. Uh, he's been around for for you know everything, so you have a you know a unique perspective compared to a lot of us having grown up in the Syracuse area. Uh, a lot has happened in Syracuse athletics over the past year or so. Um, a new uh, Jim Beheim uh, retired, and Adrian Autry is now the men's basketball coach. Dino Babers was fired. And uh, Fran Brown is now the new football coach. I guess we can start with basketball um, and just, you know, from a holistic perspective, being in central New York and seeing all of this happen where, you know, especially from a basketball standpoint, your whole life growing up with Jim Beheim, Jim Beheim, Jim Beheim, Jim Beheim. What has that been like? You know, it's, it's a weird shift. It definitely was something that needed to happen, uh, but it was sort of like that, that bittersweet ending like it it hit the point where he needed to go but at the same time like this is a guy that took a program from nothingness brought it to national prominence and 
They were in the blue blood conversation for a while. Sometimes they're included now. Sometimes they're not. Uh, it depends, you know, what they need the graphic for, whether they need Syracuse to be involved. But, you know, I sort of said as, as painful as it could become, Bayheim earned himself the longest leash in all of the universe. So if he needed to stay for 10 more years, it could have sucked. It could have been really brutal. But in my mind, it was his job until it hit him that he needed to go, even if it hit the entire fan base before him. Uh, and I, I'm glad that even if it was that weirdness, that that funky ending that made no sense, but it was the only true way that Jim Beheim could go out was utter confusion and chaos and what is going on. Does he have a job? Does he not? Did he want the job? Did he get fired? Did he step down? We don't know. But they make the transition. I think Adrian Autry was the easy choice in that if there's going to be a smooth transition, he was going to be the guy to do it right? A guy that, that knew the program, that knew the personnel, the people already involved. He was the option for this to be really, really efficient and effective if it worked. So far, I, I like what I've seen. I mean, I, I like that people want to come to Syracuse now and there's some prominence in that. And it seems like he and, you know, bringing in, I think his greatest addition so far is Brendan Strawn, who's been incredible uh, with the recruiting ties that he presents with, uh, with his EYBL connections and just the, the area that he has really just seen so much success immediately impact wise. It's weird that Jim's gone. Jim will never truly be gone. I uh, hope he's got a way to, to continue lingering. Uh, but it is, it was a transition that needed to happen. And even if this season year one with Adrian Autry, isn't like, you know, a final four run, which let's be honest, that's not what we're looking at. I think what we've seen off the court uh, immediately, I, I already have chalked this season up successful because of that new sort of off the court recruiting spark that you've seen with people wanting to come here a little bit more than in sort of the final three or four years of Bayhan. And, and that's the sentiment I think with a, with a lot of us, and especially that we've talked about here on on the pod, is that it's very positive, and everything we've seen so far is like, oh, this is kind of you know, it's about building something sustainable at this point, and making sure that you know the highs that Jim Beheim accomplished, you can also set yourself up to get be able to get back to that place at one point. So from what you've seen, you know, and we can bring bring everyone else in, but starting with you, Owen. Uh, what we've seen from this team on the court through 12 games, what have been your your biggest takeaways from Adrian Autry's squad? They're fast and they're athletic, which is, I mean, that was one of my biggest complaints closing things out in terms of my time at AR. And then as I transitioned out of there, uh, it was slow basketball. It was really like not fun to watch. It was I'm trying to like envision cool offensive plays from the time that I'm thinking of right now. And they don't really exist outside of like a Judah Mintz poster in transition, which happened. That was awesome. But like, what else were they doing offensively? And that even extends farther back, you know, when the Bayheims were playing and, and when Joe Girard was doing what Joe Girard did. Um, it was weird. It was slow. It was just stagnant is the big thing. And I, I've seen it pick up a lot more. And that comes through, uh, you know, having two guards and, you know, forwards as well that can really get out and move. Uh, and you've seen that with a little more activeness defensively. I look at the Ken Palm rankings and the defensive ranking is, is pretty solid. 
uh, the offensive could still probably improve. And I think that's one of the biggest things that they could do, but where their offense succeeds is off of the defense. And I'm not breaking any news with that statement, but like their activeness in passing lanes and the speed that they present has really created their best opportunities. My biggest, I guess, gripe so far has been when they're not out and running, when they can't get their steals and they have to run a set half court offense it has extended moments that are eerily similar to the Bayheim stuff that we hated and the Bayheim stuff that was one of the biggest reasons that this team couldn't succeed and couldn't, you know, find and break through that barrier in the past. And when they're in the half court sets, it's a little bit better, but it does remind me a little too much of what we really, really despised uh, as Bayheim was closing out his career. That's what concerns me the most, I think, going into conference play is, um, you know, you mentioned the fast break offense, and that's probably the best offense that Syracuse can run when they're out and running because of the way they they have their team where you play Justin Taylor at the four and Chris Bell at, at the three, especially in the starting lineup. You can run with the best of them. Nobody's going to be able to keep up with the speed. But when you settle down into that half-court offense, one, it looks like, you know, most times than not, there's not necessarily a set designed play that they are running, which is good and bad. I mean, you don't want to constrict your guys to, you know, set plays every single time in the half court. But usually some organization would be good from time to time, because usually when you, you draw up a set play, it's drawn up to work. Um, but there, there just there's not as much direction in the half court offense. And what scares me the most going into conference play is that these defenses, the goal is just me keep Syracuse out of the fast break. Like whatever you do, set up the half court defense and make them go against your half court defense because that's where they're going to struggle the most. If Syracuse ran their entire offense just in the fast break and they really had very limited half court offense sets, their Kempom offensive ranking would be strides higher than it is right now. So I'll be interested to see how they adjust to that if teams literally try to take away any fast break offense because if they can't execute in the half court offense against ECC teams is going to be a long conference play if they don't make the adjustments quickly. Both of you guys kind of hit the nail on the head for me as well. It's that kind of mixture between, okay, they're really fun when they get out and transition. And this is a fun, energetic, exciting team. Judah's fun. Quadir is fun. JJ Starling, when he wants to be, can be fun. But when they get into that half court, it wears you down. It gets frustrating. It really does because you're just saying, can we have a plan? Is there a plan when we get to this half court? Or is Judah just going to dribble out half of the shot clock, take it to the hoop, throw up a floater? It's going to miss. And then all of a sudden we wasted that possession. Nobody else touched the ball that entire time. We had no plan. Or is it going to be five dribble handoffs at the top and then you're still stuck right there and half the shot clock is gone. You have no plan. That's the thing that, again, at the end of the Jim Beheim era, you just wish there was more of a plan when they were out there in those half court sets and it, you don't feel confident when the game starts to grind down against a team like Virginia, where they're not going to give you a lot of fast break opportunities and the game grinds down a little bit to a halt. How can you break through? And they don't really have that full plan right now of how they're going to break through. So seeing that would be, you know, a little better, but like you said, Owen, this is a win as a season right now, because of what the offense looks like in transition. They're a fun team. They're still a young team, too. Pretty much all of the production is coming from sophomores. So what I see so far has been a complete win, but Jordan's right. 
come ACC playtime, this team's a wild card. They could make this even more of a win, but with a string of ACC losses where they're not playing well in half-court sets or the defense takes a step back, then we could see a massive, massive shakeup in terms of what we consider to be a win. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what everything you guys said. And I think, you know, the interesting part about this is I, I, Judah Mintz is terrific in transition. Oh, and you talked about, you know, those poster dunks. He had, you know, that one against Illinois last year, the one against LSU this year. And, and those dunks are awesome. And he is terrific if he gets out in transition. But he is not always looking to get the ball out in transition. He'll go if somebody grabs the rebound and he gets an outlet pass at half court. But compared to J.J. Starling or Quadr Copeland, who would be the other two guys bringing the ball up the court, those two guys, if they get the rebound, they're the ones pushing in transition. If Judah, you know, gets the ball in the backcourt, he's walking the ball up the court. And I think, you know, that's kind of, you know, this, this different balance is, okay, we have this style of play that works really well for a lot of the team. However, our best player works really well in this other style. And I think that is a really interesting challenge that, that this team is going to have moving forward. Oh, and something for you, we talked about it with Ben uh, last week is, is talking about Benny Williams because, you know, we brought up how you guys had the chance to interview him after he committed. And, and we talked about that and just how, what you've seen, uh, cause Ben was, was a senior for his freshman season. You were, I guess, so you're four years older than you're the same college class as he was high school class, but you still, you know, watch the team having spoken to him before, you know, he came to Syracuse and now he's been in the program. This is his third season. What has it been like from that moment to now? Well, I mean, he was, I'll give him this. He was the first sort of interview interview we did. I mean, in terms of bringing a player on, like we had spoken with, with some alums and some things like that. But, but Benny was, if I remember the timeline correctly, like the first, okay, here's an actual episode. Like we were talking some things, but Benny was like, okay, like this, people are going to click on this. And it was a really cool thing to have. And I always remember, I think somewhere in the interview, or maybe it was before we recorded, we were like, hey, man, like, thanks so much for coming on. Like, we know, you know, this isn't by any means the biggest show you could have done at this point in time. Uh, I think we were probably maybe only five or 10 episodes into like the YouTube space at all. Uh, and he was like, don't thank me. My dad made me do it. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> we were just losing it laughing before we jumped on. So he did that. Uh, it was cool to have him on, but it's it's been weird. Like, you know, talk about a guy that, had such high expectations. And this is another thing where like, you know, we talk about this unfortunate narrative of Jim Beheim to close out his career. Like Benny Williams was the case in point, like Beheim also, and I, you can say what you want. I defend Beheim more than most people do. Uh, maybe it's the central New Yorker in me, maybe it's whatever it is, but he had a couple of bad breaks recruiting wise. And Benny Williams was one of them, like landed a top 50 guy, that just didn't pan out uh, and maybe not top 50, but like I look back to the sort of five years leading into that as well. And, you know, Bryson Goodine, for example, and some other names in that mix were like Matthew Moyer uh, in, in the mix as well to go a little bit younger. Um, there's a chance you don't even know who he is based on what he did slash didn't do at Syracuse. Um, and then he went to Vanderbilt, whatever. But these are like guys that were supposed to be huge recruits that just, weren't 
when they got here. Uh, and you think like if a couple of those panned out a little better, maybe the narrative of Beheim's career closing isn't as tragic as it actively is. Uh, but it has been really weird watching Benny struggle and then all of a sudden it clicks and then he's back into the struggle and then it clicks and then he's back into the struggle. And then I don't know the details of this year. Uh, I heard a rumor that I, I want to think is true because it's one heck of a story. And I'll tell you guys after, but it is, there's no confirmation to it. Uh, but I hope that's true. Cause that would be awesome. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I have some ideas. Um, some of those ideas are better sourced than others. Uh, it's weird right now. And I, I do say this about Benny, and I will always say this, is I really do respect and appreciate him trying to grind it out and make it work here. In today's era of basketball and college athletics as a whole, I would say 99% of players are gone. Into the portal probably two times already uh, if this is what has happened. Uh, and I do really respect him for trying to do it in one spot and trying to power through and grow. But it just it, it lacks that consistency. Uh, and I think, you know, that is what you need uh, from him right now is just some consistency. Uh, and it's it's been funky to watch because of just the, the ups and downs of it and, and trying to piece it all together. Yeah. I, before you jump in, Jordan, I, I want to hit on. Now I'm with you on the the Bayheim point and like the recruit. I just went back through 24 seven a little bit. Like Matthew Moyer was a top 80 recruit. They, I mean, J, how about Jalen Carey? He's terrible. Like, Jalen yeah, Carey. Jalen yeah. Carey. And it's like you know, Bayheim got a lot of flack. You know, we don't need to turn this into you know a defending Bayheim podcast, but like Bayheim got a lot of flack for a lot of guys leaving. Like I mean. Quincy leaving and just never like his sophomore season at Syracuse is easily the best season of college basketball he's played. And yep. then he played two years at Oregon and that didn't go well. And now he's at Illinois and he's still in college, his fifth season of college basketball. Um, yep. Like people, you talked about Bryson Goodine, never, never panned out. Um, and like, like how about a Torian Thompson too, over the, over this past, you know, what half dozen year stretch was a top 100 four-star recruit as well. That's, can I go crazy? Can we say this guy Dior Johnson that, you know, was a top 10 recruit when Syracuse signed him. And then we don't need to talk about what happened after that. I could tell or... you, I, I remember exactly where I was when Dior Johnson committed and I was losing my mind. I, it, that like, that's how Richmond big of a deal was that was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though and he transferred, he's... he's not doing too much at Seton Hall. Yeah. I mean, like there, there just for some big names uh, that that decommitted and, and tried some things and whatever it even was uh, or transferred. And I remember, like last year, I would do episodes talking about like here's the whatever it is eight guys that transferred from Syracuse, and there's not a soul that's doing better elsewhere. So like, there's this huge conversation. Of, oh, you know, they can't keep a guy. Right. Quincy, like Jesse, in my mind, like Jesse's like the only argument correct. you could make, but he also like that's because he developed over four seasons at Syracuse yeah. and like was ready to go play professional basketball. And right, the number they gave with Jesse was 800k. I'm I'm really content with the market that Syracuse is in and the pool of money that they have NIL wise. I'm okay with 800k not going for one year of Jesse Edwards. I heard they offered four. True, but right? if you consider what this team would be with Jesse Edwards, you also start to feel, uh, because the hole is at the center spot, 
it would change it the play style. Yeah, a little it's bit. a lot of ifs, but a lot of ifs, ands, and buts. Ifs. When yeah. you when you recruit Naheem, Naheem McLeod, you you think that he can replace at least some of what Jesse Edwards could do. Um, in terms not forget, of forget, Naheem outplayed Jesse when Florida State yeah. played Syracuse last year. Let's not keep that out of the back he pocket. he drops what seventeen points and he <laughs> he looked good. <laughs> Uh, the one you know when Naheem, you know when Naheem is good yeah. you know when Naheem is good when he can just stand in the dunker spot behind his zone all game so why why not well okay behind his zone <laughs> there's there's the yeah, comment right more there. teams with the zone find the only teams left playing a, a two three zone no, he i don't think anyone dominate in practice i don't think play zone. he must dominate sure. in practice when they play zone oh yeah oh my god so that's why just start on the court <laughs> yeah, well that well that's one of the problems I think in terms of we were talking about the offense a little bit in terms of the half court is we talk about how athletic they are and, and um how they're awesome when they play fast but when they slow it down we oh I so I talked about how they have the guys to play fast in terms of when you play Justin Taylor at the 4 especially when you slow it down that's when when you get into one-on-one matchups where you kind of realize that the, the the matchups necessarily aren't there in the half court where a Naheem doesn't really have a post up move. Like you can't feed the post mm-hmm. Naheem back a guy down and do a jump hook. You can't, you can't have, well, Justin Taylor, I guess could do that, but it, at the four, he's, he's going against a guy probably 20, 30 pounds bigger than him. So you look at the certain matchups, especially against bigger teams. When you get to ACC play, it's like the matchups in the half court aren't there. That's why a lot of the offense is like Judah Mintz getting to the basket and either dumping it down or kicking out to a three. And then even if you look at the shooting, like Chris Bell is the main shooter. J.J. Starling has just started to shoot the ball a little bit better. Justin Taylor hasn't been great shooting. So if you look at it in the half court, some of the lineups that they run aren't as complimentary as others. And I know Ethan's going to love this. In terms of like getting out on the fast break, the guy that does it the best is Quidier. And if, if I think JJ Starling should have that mindset, Judah Mintz is Judah Mintz. Like if he wants to slow it down and take a guy one-on-one, you're, you're not going to necessarily turn that down, but everybody else should be looking to run because when you catch those defenses off guard, especially because sometimes you lack the matchups in, in a half court offense, the team should be looking to run at every single second. Even if it's a made basket, get out and run. Even if they are there, even if it's a five on five, if you catch them off guard enough, it's a lot easier to run, run your offense. Exactly. Let me, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, Hudson. Let me sorry. let me chime quick, and then I, I swear this will be efficient. Um, but the funny thing with Naheem for me, and you're so right, he can't do anything. I, I like the guy a lot. Um, he came on my old show, which I don't know, whatever. Uh, he, I saw him out and you know a couple times in Syracuse over the summer. Comes up to me like nicest dude ever. Uh, really cool dude. But like, I mean, you're seven four. He can't even win the tip off. Uh, but the funniest thing to me is like, I believe and correct me and maybe I'll go back and check this after we finish recording. I'm pretty sure like the first basket of the season for Syracuse was like a semi-decent McLeod post move, which is the funniest thing because it just hasn't existed. Yeah, since no, no, no. I, that's the thing is like, as someone who watched a lot of what is, what was like the patented thing Syracuse would do every offensive possession under Jim behind the last, what, 15 years, get the big man a touch like on the block. Like last yes. year, I think first Jesse get, got the first ball, first possession every single time. Like I could go back, however many. I can confirm time. the first basket against New Hampshire in the opener. Ten seconds into the game was a good layup by Naheem McLeod in the paint. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What's I happened? Mean, 
we can go back to however many centers you want. Uh, Christmas, Coleman, uh, Onawaku, like whoever you want to say. They're always trying to get this the center of the ball. And they still try. They still try. No, I I I took a completely different thing out of uh, out of what Jordan said too, because I was thinking about the big man, but it goes all the way back to what Ethan was talking about with Judah, where Judah isn't looking to get out and run, and he's looking to have it get to the half court so he can drive to the hoop. I, I think it's Judah is obviously your best player, and it becomes a, a little bit of a a back and forth of okay. Do we need to play around Judah because he's our best player or do we need to, you know, play our play style because that's what's going to win games? You have to go with the section that's going to have you win games. So Judah, even though he's an NBA prospect and this is what he does, that's what his strengths are. He also at the same time, if they're going to win anything this season, if Syracuse can win anything this season, they're going to have to have Judah get out in transition and look to run the floor because he's not slow. He's fast. He's quite fast. And he shows that in every half court set when he blows by people. But at the same time, if he's not giving that, I'm not going to say effort because that's not, it's just not his style. It's not an effort thing. It's a style thing. But if he's not conforming to that style, it's going to be a lot tougher to win games. If you can consistently catch teams off in transition, that's what you're going to have to do because you don't have that half court set offense. But Judah has to be the one to adapt. The team can't just adapt to Judah. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's I think that you know is is a good point, Jordan. You mentioned Quadier, so let's talk about him. Um, uh, Owen, I see that gets you excited. I mean, you know, I, I'm happy to have as many people join the bandwagon as they want. I can, you know, I can. I've been on this for for quite a long time. Uh, you know, I've gone back into the archives. I found some takes from like early, like January, February last year, talking about you know how in I was on Quadir when he was barely even playing. And you know, now you know we're lucky enough that th- that this is you know the the fruit has bore and and this has come to to fruition. Um. We uh, you know, we got into a pretty heated debate on the double overtime after the Oregon game, uh, because I told Jordan that I thought Quadir Copeland was not the best, but the most important player on the team because of everything he does that contributes to winning, whether it's playing in transition, uh, his defensive intensity and energy, and then just playmaking and being able to get his teammates involved. Even more important, Judah Mintz and his scoring are are. Very important. If you don't have Judah, then then that is an issue. But I think because what Quadir does contributes so heavily to winning basketball games as a team, that to me, he is the most valuable and most important player on the team, despite the fact that he does not start. Um, this was this question was posed to Alan Griffin, uh, assistant coach, and he had to think about it and before eventually siding with Judah. But he said Quadir was a close second. Um, so I, I wanted to to hear your take on uh on the matter i i like him a lot and i want to say this before i even dive in i am wrong about copeland and i was wrong because when i was talking roster all through the summer when i was talking okay syracuse just added another guy who's probably going to be Right when they bring in Starling, that was the conversation. When they are starting to transition, what the heck position is Justin Taylor going to play? My worry the entire off season was that Copeland gets lost in the minutes, and the minutes don't exist for him. And Copeland would have been a guy that, like we just talked about, transfers that didn't succeed. Copeland is a guy that I would be really worried that he would pop off the second he left Syracuse. I am so incredibly happy that the minutes exist 
And what he's done with the minutes is outstanding. Uh, I'm just like trying to do some mental math here, like, you know, extrapolate his production in the minutes that Starling gets. Uh, like if we were to say maybe expand to next year, if Judah departs, uh, Starling becomes the one and, and Copeland maybe plays the two and like sort of extrapolate to 30, 35 minutes. And the production's outstanding. Like what he does in, in 19 minutes right now to give him, I don't know math that great, but, uh, you know, bump it up by almost a hundred percent, uh, 75% increase. Like he's putting up better numbers than Starling is, uh, in 35 minutes. If that expands perfectly, which I know it doesn't, but the spark he brings is irreplaceable and it is really something with him. And I think his greatest attribute and sort of what you were saying, Ethan, is like, you know, this is the guy that brings so much and elevates the team. Uh, and I, I go to like, you know, a football comparison to last year. Uh, I, I think of him as sort of, and you know, this is not even an even comparison because he's coming off the bench and doing things like that. But like, I think of Michael Jones, who I just feel like wasn't the most incredible player on the football field, but just elevated guys and sparked things and brought some energy and brought some creativity and things like that. And I see that out of Copeland. And I, I think when he comes into the game, even last year, like you were saying, when the it was even more rare and sparse and you weren't seeing it all too often, you saw the spark. Even on his off days, there was something new that came when he hit the court. Judah is Judah, which I think actually hurts him in the argument more than it helps him because we do know who Judah is and we know what Judah can do. I don't hate your take that that Quadir is that guy because of the spark. I, I don't know if I'm going to come out and say it, but I don't know right who the argument is outside of Judah, but I do think that Judah being who he is in the style of play and just Sometimes I love Judah Mintz. He gets into his, oh, there's, you know, eight minutes left in the game and I only have 10 points. I should probably take 10 more shots. Uh, right. Like that, that one always brings it back to me. So I'm screw it. I'm, uh, I'm siding with you. Yeah. I, you know, I appreciate that. It was a uh, long route to saying yes. I, you know, <laughs> and, and that means, and your support means the world. Um, I will say a couple of things. I think, you know, basketball is specifically because, you know, there are so few players on a roster. Um, and, you know, especially at Syracuse where Jim Beheim's rotations were what, seven players maximum at times yeah. that, you know, Quadir Copeland, where everyone coming into the season said, this guy has worked so hard. He is the best player in practice. And not only has that trend, uh, like transition into games, but you know, basketball more than really, you know, any other sport is kind of about making the most of your opportunity. And, you know, Benny was ahead of him last year. And then, you know, Benny missed a few games and didn't have his act together. And Quadir took his minutes and chance Westry got injured. And that probably also contributes to where some of Quadir's minutes are coming from. And if he didn't play well, then it's possible that, you know, chance Westry would come back and take his minutes. I currently see no world in which that happens at the moment. I mean, he's probably taken probably some of Kyle Cuff's minutes who, who's the ninth man in this rotation right now, averaging only, only 12 minutes a game, even though he's played in all 12 games this season, but it's about taking advantage of, of your opportunity. Another, you know, Copeland, anecdote that I have is I, I was at the Oregon game in Sioux Falls and it was very, that place was very cool. 
but like you couldn't go in the locker room to talk to the players after the game. They came out and they're right in the tunnel, which was like right on the court, like a high school gym. Like the locker room walks right out under the court. So there were probably, I don't know, a hundred Syracuse fans waiting outside the tunnel or so, waiting to take pictures of a bunch of players. I will say, watching, you know, 10 and 12 year olds take pictures with seven four Naheem McLeod was uh, was quite funny, uh, because they were about up to his waist. But we were talking to either like J- either JJ or Judah, and Quadir walked out of the locker room, and every single fan just everyone erupted, like legitimately, like erupted, like he was uh, like a conquering hero. That's how much like not only is he a fan favorite, but like and and JJ just turns around, he's like, "That's Quadir for you," and like that's the effect this guy has on fans. He has on his teammates. Um, and that's, I think also what the take stems from a little bit. This is going to sound like a dying effort here, but I have to keep throwing up my shots. Oh, and Ethan, this whole time has been quad ear, quad ear, quad ear. And I, I didn't fully doubt him, but I wasn't fully on the wave at the same time. I have been going down with the ship on the Malik Brown is the most important player on this team. And now let let me let me get a, a 60 second block here, oh, Jordan. Geez. I know you're shaking your head, okay? Yeah, but I have to present other evidence here. He what he adds to the team, and I'm not saying at this point that he's more important than Quadir, because the stretch that Quadir had has kind of put me out, uh put me out to pasture on this argument. However, what he provides is a big man rebounding wise. He's the best rebounder that they can put out there on the floor. Him and Justin Taylor are the best rebounders, even though they're seven foot four, Naheem McLeod. The energy that he brings in terms of getting steals, it's like what Quadir does, but you have other guys at that guard position who can do that. He has that kind of not full length where he's going to be able to compete at the center spot uh, come ACC time, but he has that underrated length and he's a little bit on the skinnier side, but he still makes up for it, grabbing offensive boards and tip outs and things like that. I'm not going to say he's the most important player and he's not the energy guy. I don't think I've ever seen him smile, but I still want to make sure he's not, he's not lost in the shuffle here in terms of most important players on this team, because what he does bring is very valuable. And I feel like he continues to go under the radar a lot, even when Quadir has these big games or Quadir doesn't have these big games. We don't always talk about Malika Brown because he's been so consistent for so long we kind of we kind of don't give him the credit he deserves. I'm just putting that out there in the ether. You know, Hudson, my a dear friend of mine by the name of Matthew Bonaparte once took probably two months worth of crap from Syracuse listeners for saying last year that Malik Brown should be in the starting five before the season. And I I have to tip my cap because even I thought it was dumb. And, and he he stood by it, and he took a lot of shots for it. Uh, and I'll tell you what, he wasn't wrong when it came down to it. Uh, and I, I need to give him the shout out. So so Bones, good for you, buddy. Uh, that was that's a that's a heck of a take. I don't I don't know if he should have started over Jesse Edwards last year, but I oh, I, yeah, I, I was on the four. Oh, it was at the four? Okay. It was over Ben. Okay. You can be, you can definitely make the, the argument for that. That was before um, we knew he was the best five on the team, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Malik Brown guy. I, you know, I've been I've been rooting for him since last year because of the energy that he showed. Um, you know, last year, Hudson, when when Quadir really didn't play at all, <laughs> um, Malik Brown was the energy guy off the bench. Now they're kind of both the energy guy. 
Um, Quadir smiles a lot more than Malik, so that's where he kind of brings the the happiness to it. One thing that you mentioned, I can't remember if it was Owen or Ethan, and how Judamins kind of like takes away the impact of Quidir because of what he does. I think also when they're on the floor together, it limits Quidir's impact because Judah's a ball dominant guard. And for Quidir to do what Quidir does, he's not going to score points. Like he's going to score points. He's not going to score a lot of points. He, he his impact is when he has the ball and can dish and can drive and and that stuff and bring the ball up. So I think honestly, he probably will work better as much as you know, Juno Mintz needs to be on the floor. If you put Quadir in, especially when Juno Mintz is off the floor, I think that's where you see his most impact. And also something, I, I think Quadir, we, we talk about who's the most important. And, you know, Ethan, you can make the argument for Quadir. I still think if you take Juno Mintz's 20 points away from this team, they're absolutely screwed. But Quadir is the most important for the other things other than scoring. He When he's on the floor, he guards the best offensive player like that takes pressure off of judah and jj he impacts everyone else on the floor just as much as judah does but in different ways that don't show up and aren't as let's call it sexy as maybe judah mince does yeah i uh, i i think you know this is a, a very fun conversation and we could go for a while here um, and, you know, I think I'm happy this basketball season, Owen, because what I've tried to get out of the, we, the three of us have gotten in some pretty heated arguments. Um, you know, you know, Johnny, Johnny doesn't really, I, I never, Johnny and I never really got into it over, over things. Johnny, you know, Johnny's always, you know, Mr. Not even agree with you, but he's a very, you know, mild tempered guy. He's not getting worked up about a lot of stuff. Um, I would say Ben is, is a little similar in that way. Um, but you know, he, he, Ben has his moments, but the three of us have been getting into it. I think, uh, you know, what, I, what I've tried to create, what we've tried to create here this season is, you know, building takes about this team. So Quadir has been, you know, my overarching, you know, this is my, you know, this is my Island. Quadir is, is my guy. And if you want to hop on, you can, uh, you just have to report to me. I've come up with this secondary take and I'm interested oh and they hate it. They hate oh, it. Oh God! But I know. But it, it's good. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I so I, I you know I was you know lucky enough to be at the Maui Invitational, and being that close, I was I watched dissected warmups. Like we were right on the floor, and I don't know if it was before Tennessee or Gonzaga, but I was sitting right next to Donna Detoto, Syracuse.com, and I was watching Malik Brown, and I was like, Donna, can Malik shoot? Like this, he's got a good, like his form is good. He's shooting during, like his shot during warmups looks good. Why doesn't he shoot? And she was like, he used to shoot threes all the time in high school, but he just hasn't here. So, you know, back, you know, I guess it was, you know, mid to late November. I was like, I think Malik is going to become a shoot, a stretch five by the end of the year. And then he hits this three against Niagara. He took one. I want to say at the end of the game against Tennessee, um, in very low stakes. I'm like, oh, that looked good. And then, and then he hits this pick and pop against Niagara. And Adrian Autry says after the game, he could potentially be hitting one or two a game by the end of the year. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it, it's different, like getting to watch him in warmups and see him just put up shot after shot. It's not perfect, like a Chris Bell or a Justin Taylor, you know, form or spin by any means. But if Malik, and you know, the argument I've been making to, to these two is that, even if he's only a 30 or 32% shooter, uh, 
at not a very high volume, just the threat of him being able to step out and stand on the perimeter and bring the other team's big man out, out of the paint opens up the lane so much because Syracuse is, you know, what their three leading ball handlers and Mint, Starling, and Copeland want to get into the paint that that can help this offense, which is not as good as the defense with by the numbers that we've talked about can be really, really effective. Okay. Here's a few things. It's a loaded take, Ethan loaded. Um, I'm going to throw a, a, a tangent out here. I can hit threes in warmups. Does that mean I can do it in ACC play? No. I like your point that it adds an element. And if he shows that he would shoot, maybe it changes the defense a little bit. But I've always gone back and forth on how much stake I should put into watching somebody warm up. Because at this level of basketball, you know, the warm-ups look pretty good, top to bottom. Uh, and so I'm I'm always curious, like, you know, what I would go and, and, and report on games. And, yeah, like Chris you know, Bell does not miss a shot one on zero in warm-ups, which he shouldn't yeah. for how good of a shooter he is. Right? Like, it, it is – it's – I don't know how much to put in. I will say I was at the Niagara game. It was cool to see him make a three. That was fun. You know, Jesse Edwards made his three – his three-point shooting percentage was tremendous. That was that, that mean, was the end of the shot clock. That was a heave. Shooting, that was dipped, that was a heave at the end of the shot clock. He had to shoot it. I mean, I the form didn't look put... bad on that shot, though. The form did, did not look bad. He stepped. Okay, in. okay. Well, so it's okay. it's one thing it's one thing for the form not to look bad. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. in the last week, I worked eighteen high school basketball games. Okay, there are some guys with great form. Do I want <laughs> them shooting for Syracuse basketball? No. Uh huh. Well, yeah, so Kyle also could hit a jump shot. I'm not putting him out there for, and he's the same size as Malik Brown. I'm not putting him out there to shoot against Ethan, guys. That, Ethan, see? Ethan, can Kyle shoot from is three. studying math right now. That's not Ethan. His Ethan can shoot from three in, in the barn Center gym. I'm not putting him out there on Jim Beheim court against Pitt. Coming up, like, like what about against the do? No, okay, against the do, sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. Gotta also put some context into this. One, I have my sources that, uh, from you know, aka Ben Specter, that you know, it wasn't as good as Ethan is letting on in terms of the warm ups, but that's neither here nor there. Ethan was also pushing for Quadir to keep shooting threes because eventually they're they'll go in. Meanwhile, the guy is 0 for 9 from three point land, so it's like he just wants them to keep shooting because he thinks. If they nail one, that the defense will start honoring the three-point line against the Quadir or Malik, which I think is a little bit flawed. But I mean, if if he if and he's one of two, it's it's just the situation. Like if like against Niagara, of course, you know you don't mind him taking a three because it's against Niagara. If you're coming down the stretch against Pitt and he gets the ball open from three-point land because nobody's guarding him out there and it's a two-point game, you're not going to have him shoot the three. <laughs> like, that. that's I think, where I yeah, come in. I think like, you guys would be – I think – would you disagree that in, like, the middle – let's say middle 20 minutes of the game uh, – honestly, middle 30 – honestly, actually – okay. There's I'll only 40 minutes the in the game. game. The the third, middle the 38 game, minutes. <laughs> okay. 
the first outside of the last 30 let's, seconds. Let's say <laughs> instead, first, instead of instead of the post touch to begin the game, Malik Brown okay. shoots a three. First 30 in the first 30 minutes of the game. Let's say this in the first 30 minutes of the game. If Malik Brown or Quadir Copeland has an open spot up three, you would be upset with them taking it. I'd rather Malik Brown take it than Quadir. I'd rather Malik Brown take it. Than okay. Quadier. That's not my, that's 100%. not my question. That's not my question. Said you would be upset if they took an open spot up three in the first 30 minutes of the game. Quadir, no, I yes. would not be upset. Okay. I'm saying Quadir, yes. You're saying if Quadir, okay. if Quadir is open, he's got space around him. Drive. Put the ball on the floor. That's a Put good the take. ball on the floor. Drive. I, okay. If he has enough space around him where he can shoot a three, he has enough space around him where he can start to drive to the paint. I feel like it would depend on the situation. Like it depends That's on where the point. shot clock's at, where everyone else is on the floor, who's on the floor with them. I didn't like, put that much thought into this hypothetical. I, I'm, I know I'm not. I'm not saying you did, but that's what would go through my mind. It would depend on who's on the floor, because like if a certain lineup is on the floor, if the shot clock's at like seven, like if it's at twenty-two, no, do not take that three. Try to get a better shot. So it really just depends on the situation at the time. Would I be absurdly upset saying, Malik Brown, you should go to the bench because you just attempted a three? No, but it, it really determined, like, if it's a good shot would determine the situation. My AAU basketball coach, um, I was probably in ninth grade, um, he once called me over in a timeout and he said, Owen, I thought I told you no threes in the second half. Um, so, so maybe, maybe that's what Autry has to put in, uh, for, for, for Malik Brown here and just say, you know, maybe you try one early on if all of the, the hundred, uh, stipulations that Jordan just laid out are, are making sense. Um, but maybe, maybe we limit this for a little bit, um, because to your point of, oh, maybe they'll defend him heavily. Um, you know, I gamble, I won't lie. <laughs> if he's shooting 25 you're of age in a legal yeah, state there's, there's no shame wrong with it no shame yeah if if you're shooting 25 percent from three am i gonna bring my big man out to open up the lane to judah Mintz and jj starling and quitter copeland and whoever else wants to put the ball on the floor am i gonna let you take that 25 percent three or am i gonna open myself up to the 50 percent in terms of the layup or maybe even higher than 50 percent in terms of uh, a lesser contested layup in the paint. Yeah. Do I, I want to sacrifice that to really yeah. get up in Malik's face on the three-point line? No, well, yeah, and that's no, where it's, it's interesting. That's yeah, where I it, think the defensive point, it, he has to take more than just one. Like 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 what Owen said. They'll give him that first one most most definitely. They'll give him the first. If he makes the first one, that's when you start to think about what you want to do. But then he has to take more than one per game. And if he's not doing that, then it's kind of just pointless at that point. Yeah, yeah, and now he has to take more than one a game in ACC play. Again, it goes back to what Jordan said. Yeah, you can take those against Niagara. The second you start to get into ACC play, I want someone who's going to make those threes consistently. And this this argument has me a little torn because I keep having this pro-Malik Brown agenda, but I say, hey, <laughs> no shooting threes. I understand. I understand that. But at the same time, I just... I can't see him start to shoot threes in ACC play. If he hits on, if he hits two more in a row, I think I texted this into the group chat after Ethan was like, see what happened. See what happened. Like the, the show after Malik Brown hits a three. I understand that. If he hits two more in a row, 
I'll say, yeah, okay, that's fine. But as of right now, no more threes. Still no more threes. I, I right. don't care. I'm taking the ball away from him. No more threes. Until okay. he gets to And I can't wait to advisor. shove it in your face when he makes a couple more. Okay. Throughout, do that. throughout ACC do play. That. Um, all right. Ethan, think, you yes. hold on. Yes. You don't get to throw that last jab there. You just look so sad for the last five minutes of us discussing this. And now you're going to throw one last final jab. I, like I, I mean, I have to get the last word in. I, I can't just sit here and take all this and not get the last word in. Um, I think we've kind of hit a, I think we've gotten over a lot of basketball stuff here. We're, we're approaching an hour uh, of your time. Oh, and, and any final basketball thoughts? I do want to ask you about football, but if you have any final basketball thoughts uh, as we My head into final AC basketball play. thoughts are there's one hell of a recruiting class coming in. I'm excited for it. I like the pull that this coaching staff has right now. And, you know, maybe this is something that, most Syracuse fans don't like to hear, but I personally don't care what happens this basketball season. If it's great, great. If it sucks, oh well. I have so little stake in what happens this year as long as the recruiting and the pull to Central New York that we saw immediately Right. I mean, how many days after Autry took over did Starling commit? Like um, two. Like, like yeah, it was less. Right? Than we week. saw yeah. the immediate impact. As long as that continues this offseason, I have so much more care in next year because of what I know is coming in. Are you going to lose Judah? Yeah. Yeah, but, like I think my only counter argument oh, well. to that is is that I, I would like to see Judamans play in the NCAA tournament. And like Correct. that is yeah. something I care about. Like that because this is probably his last season of college basketball. And that like that, I think that that would be my only counterpoint is I agree with you. This is this year is about setting the foundation and build and yeah. like starting to climb back to becoming if you I don't know if they'll ever be a full on blue blood, but at least being in like the second or, or third tier mm-hmm. of blue bloods. Um so I, I kind of agree with you, but it would be like a huge uh, accelerator if you can be in the tournament this year, especially with a player like Judah, where if he is on, you could beat anyone. Um, speaking All of right. speaking of, I want uh, them in the uh, tournament. Yeah, I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. I, I want them to win. I always want them to win. Judah is going to. I don't up care if they lose. Don't worry, he will. <laughs> Essentially, if they, if they Owen is saying the, the future is bright. Round one. The future is bright. Bingo. I like what I see. Who cares if they win? Speaking of bright futures, Brand Brown, Syracuse football. Um, Owen, Hashtag you live you you live through in Syracuse the Dino Babers era. Uh, I, I will you know I'll, before I turn it over to you, I must give a shout out to uh your your friend, my friend PJ Clark, who about a month ago. Uh, because I was at the game when Fran Brown gave his introductory uh, press conference speech to the dome, the basketball crowd. And about a month ago, PJ, uh, you know, I could not thank him anymore for showing me uh, w- comparing that to Dino's uh, speech to to the basketball crowd. Um, maybe the greatest speech of all time. I've probably watched it about a dozen times in the past month. Um, I'm sure you know it well. Uh, so I guess, you know, that's just one way of comparing the the differences between these two men leading this football program uh, for, from what you've seen in terms of football. I know, you know, we, we, we are pretty much aligned that Dino Babers should not have been the coach of this football team anymore. Um, I would argue ever, ever. 
I, it's hard to dis it's hard to disagree on that. Hard to disagree. Um, what uh what of your first takes? I guess it's been almost a month now of uh of Fran Brown Ben and, and Dino's uh Dino's demise in November and October. Okay, my my first take is confusion in that what does Fran Brown know about Syracuse that he has pulled with transfers and recruits that the last two decades of coaches have not known about Syracuse, right? What is he doing that makes him so good? And that is mind boggling, right? He's the number one recruiter in the country. He is the, the greatest that you could have in terms of recruiting, but it's still Syracuse. And I can say that because I've been here 25 years. It is still Syracuse. People don't want to play football in Syracuse. And somehow, in one month, Fran Brown has said, yeah, but those people didn't know me. But and what if they, but what if they did? Yeah, but, but what if they did? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe they're four-time national champions. Who knows? Uh, I'm going to say I love everything I've seen from Fran Brown. I like his speeches. I like his conversations. I like that when you ask him a question, he answers it and doesn't tell you about the movie that he watched last night. I think that's a cool attribute of a head coach. Uh, I like that it's very likely that the media might be able to speak to somebody in the Syracuse coaching administration outside of the head coach. I think that's a cool asset of a coach. I like that we're no longer censoring a program. I'll say that because that is what the Dino Babers era was. And we now have this open line of like kind of cool communication where you're hearing from some people and talking to some people and things look good. We've got a quarterback that other people wanted. How about that? We've got some players that other people wanted. How about that? I will say this. I don't know if anybody on the staff knows how to coach football. But, geez, can they recruit. And that is all I care about until they play that first football game is, boy, can they recruit. I will hope that they could coach football considering uh, Fran Brown came from the SEC. Elijah Robinson just finished up with Texas A&M yesterday from the SEC. Um, but you know, you never know. I, I, one thing that I, I do go back to the recruiting aspect of it is the relationships that he kind of harps on. It's clearly, it's about him and the player. It's not about where it is. It's about him yeah. recruiting the player, knowing the family, um, which is a, it's a, is a cool kind of thing to kind of realize that that, that is why all these players are coming here. It's, it's not necessarily because of Syracuse. It's because of Bren Brown, um, yeah, it, it'll be an interesting, it'll be an interesting, I think also a selling point now, I think we don't realize it as much is uh, with the anticipated offensive coordinator, because technically not confirmed yet, the pro style system, it, it's going to get players that play in it ready for the NFL. Playing a 4-3 instead of a 3-3-5 translates better to the NFL. So preparing... No, everyone <laughs> plays a 3-3-5. <laughs> <laughs> Playing a more pro style system on both sides makes it easier, I think, for players to come to Syracuse because they can take those skills 
easier to the NFL. That I think also goes into the recruiting aspect of it. Yes, yeah. the the feared Ravens three three five defense right now wrecking stuff in the NFL. I I will give you a dipstick in terms of what this Fran Brown couple weeks month almost now has been. I grew up as a Northwestern fan. They never recruited well. No one cares about Northwestern. I come to Syracuse. I get involved in Syracuse, and I see what the recruiting is like in Syracuse. Not a whole lot. Over these last few weeks, I have become so spoiled. There's a 24-7 recruiting tab open on my computer 24-7. Like, it is always there. I have become so spoiled that when a recruit commits to somewhere else that's not Syracuse, when Syracuse is in the mix, I go, wait, what? Wait, they're not what? Like, how is this possible? It just, it's not computing with me. That is how good Fran Brown has been at recruiting that I don't understand when a recruit doesn't commit to Syracuse with what they're building. It has been unreal what he's done in the last few weeks, piling up players. I mean, the the transfers coming in from Georgia are the most exciting part, not just Kyle McCord. Fadil Diggs is very exciting, but a guy like Zed Haynes that's going to revolutionize this offense with his speed. So many of these different pieces that he's building, and it's only going to build for the next year because a lot of these guys, McCord doesn't have extra eligibility, but you can hit the portal again and get a new quarterback. I'm looking past next year. I'm looking to the year after and the year after, and what are they going to be consistently? And that's something that I've never done I'm a Bears fan, too. I've never done with any football team ever. I have never had that with a football team. And Fran Brown has done that for me in, in the last three and a half weeks. So it's it's very exciting in, in that perspective, at least from recruiting. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like how and boy, I'm not as as versed on recruiting as I was three months ago. But barring some tragic change that I missed is uh jacari williams still committed to yes, syracuse he signed he yeah, signed he signed mm-hmm. he signed how much smoother is this transition now with a year of let's let's watch some some really good quarterbacking and then you can go to a guy that at one point was like i think rivals had him as like a top 50 player in the country or something nutty they had him overranked and everyone didn't but he's he's had the syracuse effect since happened to him uh, you'll notice that committing to Syracuse is where four-star players go to become three-star players. Uh, it's just the natural 24-7 can't accept the fact that Syracuse got a good recruit. But he's maybe the, that sixth, he's now. the sixth highest recruit or sixth highest signee on the composite for Syracuse right now. Which is nuts. Because yeah. he's 600, uh, according to the composite, he's three stars, 644th overall. National. Yeah. Uh, let's also um, realize too that that a lot of these guys. I mean, Jakari Williams was committed to Dino Babers initially, so give Dino a little bit of credit for that. Especially also yeah. he had Jamie Tremble, but a lot of these guys are are flipping to Fran Brown. Imagine what he can do in a year's worth of recruiting. Yeah. Um, right. This is and just Syracuse, the only the only high school prospect who I'm seeing linked to is Marcellus Barnes from Tennessee, who would if he committed would become the new second highest recruit. Uh, according to the composite for for this this class behind Daniel Ross, I was looking at a Tim Leonard tweet today. Actually, outlining the defense now that Marlowe Wax is back, and and all, pretty much all the positions. I mean, the defensive line a little bit, you know, suspect in terms. There's a Corner lot of names back. there. Cornerback. Yes, I was gonna get there. There's a lot of names there, but a little bit suspect. But cornerback. The four cornerbacks on the roster right now are Jaden Bellamy, Quan Peterson, Greg Delane, and Jaleel Martin. So getting a four-star cornerback, even though 
starting a freshman isn't necessarily the most positive thing to do. Um, cornerback, you know, coach Fran Brown coached the DBs at Georgia. That That's the real position of absolute need on that defense currently. DBU. Yeah. And the portal's not closed yet. There's still a lot of guys. I don't know if you saw Deion Sanders tweet the other day Yeah, DBU. There you go. I don't know if you saw Deion Sanders tweet the other day, but he, uh, he essentially just went out and said, oh, there's still guys in the portal. Let me get these guys. And Frayne Brown responded to that with a tweet that I'm seeing now that Dion retweeted. Dion said, dang, I see the portal doing the bank head bounce. Anyway, he went off and said, Santa, please drop off another DT corner linebacker and pass rush at a boulder. Fran Brown responded with, tell them don't forget about cousin Fran Brown. We need them trenches. I mean, he is still recruiting. He is still out there. All of these Christmas presents that we got, there's more coming. There could be more on the way. I'm not going to say there is more coming, but there could be more on the way. And there's a lot of offers that are going out. A couple of Juco guys just got offered that are really good D tackles. One guy that's massive and runs a, a four, six, and he's like 300 something pounds at six, five. And he runs a four, six, like really athletic, good guys that can build around. They need more on that interior defensive line. They need more on the corners and they need more on the offensive line. But everything else has been built out in a way, especially now with the return of Aranda Gadsden, which we haven't talked about yet. The return of Marlo Wax, the return of Justin Barron. It's a really good look for this team so far. I just like, I mean, to take a step out and go macro, um, people are talking about Syracuse football during basketball season, which doesn't happen. Uh, for positive reasons, um, right? Like that's that's not something that happens. And Syracuse basketball is almost because of how incredible this start has been, is almost taking a back seat some days in season to Syracuse football, which is unheard of. And that just goes to show that you know even if the impact isn't immediate, right? You you got to still have realistic expectations, right? But this is a team that can go into a mediocre ACC right now and, and win some football games. But they're talking right now. And it's energy for Syracuse football and excitement for Syracuse football. And I didn't have that, nor did I see it, with Syracuse football under Dino Babies. Uh, and, and so to see that for the first time in however many years, there's there's some excitement, there's some energy I go back. You were talking about speeches. Oh, that Dino Babers. Uh, was it the first press conference? Feel me. Oh, close your eyes and visualize this. We'll have a special teams that is well coached. Penalties. We don't know how to punt. We don't know how to kick. We don't know how to get the kicking unit on the field. We don't know how to determine whether or not we're going to use the special teams. The special teams was not well coached. Uh, but we got energy right now. We have excitement for Syracuse football, and it is because – and I saw the same thing with basketball during the coaching change. I don't know if maybe I just missed it in the past, but, like, the recruiting efforts are more public, and, like, I'm seeing what they're doing more. And I think mentally, like, that means a lot, like, to see the efforts. And I don't know, maybe Dino was just a silent assassin. He liked to keep everything lock and key. I talked about that already. Like, maybe that's just sort of the way he went about it. But, like, as a fan, as someone looking, it's cool to see, like, hey, they're going here this week. They're doing this this week. This is what we're doing for recruits now. 
And other recruits see that same as fans. And you're like, ooh, like that's a pretty cool thing what Syracuse is doing recruiting wise. Maybe I joined that conversation, right? We are in an era where like social media aspect of it, like the visual aspect of it. I go to the hoop mixtape, right? And and the evolution of the hoop mixtape and like how big a deal that is, right? People want to see things that are going on. They want to see cool things you're doing. They want to share cool things you're doing. And finally, in basketball and football, it seems like we're sharing those cool things that are happening a lot more. And I think that is like another little underlying thing that continues uh, to trickle into more recruits and more conversation. Yeah. And I mean, the future is so bright. Uh, It's kind of like, it kind of goes, I kind of go back to what you were saying. Yeah. It's weird. I kind of go back to what you were saying at the beginning. Like it doesn't even make any sense, like what is happening and, and yet it is. But then I just keep coming back to can they coach? Like, can they manage a game? Uh, thing like things of that nature. Can they call plays? Um, I'm sure they can develop and teach technique, but like actual in-game coaching, uh, and we have to wait eight months for that. And you know, this I'm also very interested to see what they do for the eleventh, the twelfth game on this schedule because we know the Army game has been canceled. Uh, because of their, you know, they joined the the American Athletic Conference and talked with Kansas for a potential game in the Dome have backed off. So, uh, uh, Jordan, I'm sure you'll be the most interested to see what that uh, 12th game will potentially be. Um, but uh, yeah, we will see. There's a there's a bunch of teams that kind of need a 12th game because uh, p- partly because Army canceled t- three fourths of their games because now they're in conference. Um, the one that we've been talking about is the potential of Notre Dame just moving up the 2025 game because they're also in need of a game as well. And their game against Army, supposed to be at Yankee Stadium, got canceled. Now, if Syracuse played a third straight year at Yankee Stadium, that would be a little bit crazy. That's a, but... that's a trigger word for me. Yeah, please no. <laughs> Jordan, if please. that happens, I would cry. If they move up the Notre Dame game, I think I would cry. Well, they but could move it up. They could enough good. Yeah, we yeah. Relax, Hudson. Your road schedule is the the best road schedule ever created in college football. That so, <laughs> um, they might move up. I, I the theory is they might move up the Notre Dame game to be at Notre Dame in twenty twenty next year, and then in twenty twenty five be at Yankee or somewhere or something like that. But who knows? Ugh. Um. All right. Well, we've gone over a, an hour plus here. Um, it, it's been a, a quite long episode of the podcast. Any final thoughts from the guys on anything uh, before we sign up? Actually, no, before final thoughts, we asked this to Johnny and Ben and Owen. Uh, Got to talk about, you know, asked about favorite pod moments, favorite AR or, or podcast moments. Johnny highlighted talking to lacrosse coaches. Um, He, you know, he, he I, Johnny's got to think for lacrosse. I don't know. Ben, uh, ben, ben said, uh, you know, some of those interviews, uh, like, and the, and the sweet 16 run back in 2021, when, you know, the pod was kind of popping off or were some of the things he highlighted, is there a, is there anything that you'd, you'd go back to as some of your favorite moments from the pod or, or just your, you know, W8ER career as a whole? Um, oh God, I love W8ER lead with that. Um, it's a really just it is as cool of a place and environment as you could possibly have. And like, it's hard to explain like what it is to other people. Cause it doesn't make sense. It's like, you know, you used to wake up at five and do this and that and this. And then like, if you woke up at five enough times, then you got to like do the grunt work, 
which was even cooler than waking up at five and everyone's just like, what's, what is, what's the point of this? And it's like this, this right here is the point of it. Um, my highlight, I think right now, as I look back, is just the fact that like this show is still up and running. Like it is really cool. Uh, the show, I don't know if you've ever looked back at the first episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. But the show was supposed to be like a really deep dive on one really niche attribute of what was going on. And so our first episode was like, what were the best? Uh, oh, God, I think it was the best defensive line duos in the history of Syracuse football. And that lasted one episode. And then it just became game previews and <laughs> game recaps and <laughs> more general conversations. But like. It, I don't know. Brendan Mortensen came to me with an idea. We did it. I love that. Um, oh, good parts. There were a lot. Um, some things that probably can't be discussed. There were some disaster moments that, like, I look back on now and they are so funny. Um, uh, but we will we'll hold off on those. It just like I look back at the community, I look back at um, a talk department that when myself and Max Chadwick came in, uh, definitely was, was lacking in many regards. And now I look and, you know, it's, it's pretty cool, the growth and things like that that have happened. So just, you know, it's a very mundane and boring answer, I guess, but like just the little things, like the growth that continues to happen uh, to look back on is pretty cool. Uh, and I'm sure the second I finish talking, the, the really good memory will hit me, but it's not there yet. And that'll be okay. No, I think that's, you said what matters and it's like the community um, and that, you know, what, what the, the, the bonds that you form are very special and you cherish those for a long time. Uh, and even if there isn't something specific, it's the whole experience that kind of meshes into one. Uh, and like, you don't even remember like that specific of moments you Oh, yes. Go ahead. Now, here, see, just as you predicted. Okay. Um, I, I feel like the statute of limitations on this has expired. When I went to school, we the, the world didn't exist in a normalcy. Um, and there was a football season that was played with no fans. And one of the locations that accepted some fans was Clemson. And six WAER-associated friends took a road trip to South Carolina that was approved by some people, but not necessarily all of the people. Um, and let's just say that the, the head of Syracuse Athletics had our names on a list and was not very pleased with us for making this trip to South Carolina uh, in the height of COVID and, uh, you know, the repercussions of it but That's we good. quarantined for two weeks afterwards and you know who didn't the football team that was there the same amount of time that we were so i feel like we we did our part uh in not spreading disease you know and you you stayed safe you stayed healthy so good job good job on you guys uh you exactly. did your part and see now my sister soon... goes there so we we go back <laughs> exactly Owen, can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, this has been a complete joy, a nice trip down memory lane, I hope, um, and, and a lot of fun uh, having a nice solid discourse between the four of us. I 
am beyond pleased to be back. Thank you. Um, I don't know. Maybe four or more years, we'll do another reunion yeah. episode with. We'll do another we'll three do, people that I. Maybe we'll just make it a, a holiday. Maybe we'll make it a holiday special next year. And when we have a lucky number eight, because uh, Hudson and Jordan will have added someone after I'm I'm gone, and we'll just have wow. an octo box of o- Ostrom, the Ostrom family for for the next year's holiday special. Is it uh, seven people now? Is that what it is? Well, we got the four of us: Ben, Johnny, Brendan. So that would be seven. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Make sure you're, you know, Owen referenced the YouTube channel. Make sure you're checking us out there. I mean, growth is exponential on the YouTube channel right now. We're over 50 subscribers. We'd love for you to join that number. Uh, a whopping 50 subscribers. Please join us. Make sure you follow us on social media as well. At Ostrom Avenue Pod Basketball. It's here. ACC play. Full swing. Make sure you're checking out all of W8ER's coverage whether that be game broadcast, the double overtime sports night, whatever it may be. And of course, the Ostrom Avenue podcast brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very much for their continued support of the show and allowing us to get our alums of the show back on the program. Uh, They paid Owen a hefty sum to get him on the show today. Uh, And that's what matters here on the Ostrom Avenue podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you in January.